0: Welcome to the Truth to Power Show in Radio for Brooklyn. I'm your host, Vijay Nathan. And with us today is co-host Scott Raven. Welcome, Scott. Welcome. Hey. Welcome, welcome. So a special guest today is Amanda Miriam K. Siegel. Um, she is a, uh, uh, Yiddish singer, songwriter, recording artist, actor, and researcher in Yiddish culture. She's performed lectures and taught throughout the U.S. and internationally. Her album, um, Toys, Toysiet. I'll have to tell me the pronunciation, but uh, a thousand flavors uh features a co- combination of original and adapted Yiddish songs produced in Brooklyn. So can you tell us the the album name in uh, Yiddish again?
1: Sure. It's called and Tamen, which means a thousand flavors. Uh, Toysent is a thousand, and Tamen is flavors.
0: Uh, let's try to raise up. The, if you can raise up in the bar, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Good. So yeah, yeah, it's really great. And tell us a little bit about how you how you started your journey into um, you know, learning about Yiddish culture. I mean, of course, it's your background, but you said you learned, I became fluent in Yiddish in adulthood. So tell us a little bit about how your journey into singing came into this.
1: Well, I heard a few Yiddish words at home growing up, but um, my family came to the U.S. more than 100 years ago, so it wasn't really like a spoken vernacular, Is just an expression here or there. So um, I was always interested in music and um, in writing songs and arranging songs, and um, I started studying Yiddish in college, and um, I just kind of fell in love with it, and I fell in love with the music at the same time, so I started exploring Yiddish music.
0: Good, good.
2: Oh, Can you tell us a little even in some of your earlier uh, connections to Yiddish, Yiddish culture, Yiddish music, uh, was this from childhood, this was from um, some of your early moments, uh, relatives or something like that?
1: Well, I grew up hearing a few Yiddish words and I, I guess I didn't even realize they weren't English. We would just have certain family words we would say. And, um, like for example, my late mother, if I tried on some really ugly piece of clothing, she would say, oh, Manda, that's hilarious." And I was like, what are you talking about? You mean hellacious mom, right? Halacious. No, hilarious." And I was like, I don't understand. Later, I found out it's actually a Yiddish word for sickening, like literally something that would make you want to vomit or faint. (laughs) So um, that's just an example. But I heard these words here and there, and I didn't realize it was actually not only a whole language, but a whole civilization that I didn't know about. So that's what really piqued my interest.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then you got into also the the theater as well, the Yiddish theater and and, and all the the kind of – related arts so uh what you mentioned uh one specific one uh i think it was uh dreaming in yiddish or what was it called uh dreaming in yiddish as being a, a one of your favorite recordings so tell us a little bit about kind of that uh if you remember you could just kind of speak off yeah
1: sure yeah. so um i became really interested in yiddish culture and i heard about this um basically a folk arts camp called klez camp that was basically like a yiddish um, a week of Yiddish culture, music, theater, and one of the leaders and co-founders of that was Adrienne Cooper. Um, she unfortunately passed away about 10 years ago, but she was just this towering influence as a musician, as a teacher. She was um, just this incredible singer, and her interpretations of music were so so deep and rich. And um, she recorded this album with the pianist Joyce Rosenzweig called Dreaming in Yiddish, where she just it's just one of my favorite recordings of all time. She just kind of takes you on this journey, not just I don't know, it's like it's hard to describe her interpretations of music. They're just so um just this virtuosity that's not only vocal and musical but also emotional. Like just this incredible range from humor to tragedy and everything in between. So she was a huge influence on me. I um was lucky enough to study with her a little bit, and I still feel her as a huge influence in my in my work.
2: Yeah, yeah, great, great. So you mentioned klez camp. I guess that taken from uh, the type of klezmer music, right? With, right. Which how would you kind of describe just klezmer music? That being a Yiddish word. Uh...
1: Yeah. So the word klezmer actually comes from Hebrew, and it means literally instruments or vessels of song. Hmm. And a klezmer is actually, like Americans, they say klezmer music because that's how the genre is known, but a klezmer is actually just um, a musician in Yiddish. So actually, klezmer refers to a tradition of instrumental music at weddings and at celebrations. So it actually doesn't refer to vocal music at all. But starting in the late 70s and early 80s, there was this cultural revival where, um, people started exploring the music, like young people started exploring the music again, and they ended up founding these folk art camps like um, like Klez Camp, where people would get together sort of like, I guess, based on Balkan camp and places like that where people go to have kind of a cultural immersion experience. And um, even though Klez Camp officially ended a few years ago, now there's a new version of it called Yiddish New York that takes place every December It's also sort of like a refuge for people that um, want to explore um, Yiddish culture and also escape from being in a culture that's so Hmm. Christian-dominated. I mean, here in New York, I feel so lucky because there's so many people from so many different religions and backgrounds. Like, there's so many things you can do on Christmas – but growing up in the Midwest, that was not the case for me. Uh-huh. So I really identify with like having a place to go, like during Christmas, and do stuff where you don't have to be bombarded with Christmas carols and Christmas trees and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really great. The uh, yeah, ball, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, speaking of which, uh, so like when we think about the show's themes or the thematics, we're talking about like essential truths that we discovered, um, you know, and kind of how that is empowering. So, you, uh, if you could talk a little bit about, like, what is something that, that's the truth and some misperceptions, perhaps, uh, and how what's the truth that you think is essential that you believe is undervalued by society?
1: Well, I, I wrote this. Um, I thought about this a little bit before, and I think that especially the pandemic has brought this out, which is that every individual has this need to feel like people are listening to them, that people are seeing them, and to experience compassion and connection. I mean, obviously this is in addition to having their physical needs met, like having food, clothing, shelter, and medical care, and clearly we have a long way to go before we have that for everyone. But um, I think that these are also connected, that it's just a basic human need. And um, I think that it's easier... I think it's easier to maintain inequality when people with power and privilege, and I include myself in those categories, can't see the humanity of other individuals, other human beings, not just because of um, not wanting them. I, I think that, sorry, I'm not being very articulate here, but I think that um, this inability to have compassion and connection for our fellow human beings makes it easier to maintain Inequality and it's really dehumanizing to all people, but not in the same way. Mm. I was reading something today that said that basically, um, I think it was in the New York Times, it was this question from a white woman who had recently been promoted at work and she saw that her black colleagues were being like taken away from their positions. And the editor that was responding to the question said, um, Think about racism for white people as secondhand smoke so it's something that's toxic to everyone but in different ways so i thought that was a good mm-hmm. i thought that was a good description
0: yeah yeah
2: so what uh what were some ways that maybe you you were able to stay connected uh, i guess through through the pandemic were you were you performing through this were you uh doing some shows uh via zoom i imagine or uh did you have the opportunity to play outside and, and talk a little bit what ways you were able to connect
1: Well, I did some online concerts and performances, which is, like, really not very satisfying because it takes so much to record something, to basically record a professional video when you don't have the expertise and the equipment to do that. (laughs) So that's challenging. But also um, performing live where, like, anything can happen. You know, I have a really noisy refrigerator. So, like, my refrigerator might start going when I, Mm -hmm. you know, when I get live on a show or something. So um, I, I did a lot of online things. I also got like really interested in just different styles of performance. It's really different because when you're performing just for a small screen, you really have to tone down your expressions and your movements, which is hard for me because I like to be like really big and really active on the stage and sing really loud and be really expressive. So I have to kind of rein myself in, which is a good, a good lesson, I think. And I also got, like, really into um, reading poetry in a sort of dramatic way, which is something that I never really explored before, so that was a good experience. But one of the most cathartic things, I think, was the um, the 7 p.m. Uh, cheer for essential workers, just oh, yes. to go out there on my block and scream and bang on a pot. And I remember one time I was biking down 7th Avenue in Brooklyn, and I stopped, and there was a guy with um, – a tennis racket like banging on a garbage can uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> right across the street from the hospital and it was just really really inspiring
2: that's great now uh you're performing mostly solo i imagine uh where did you have because i know pandemic allows you to maybe connect with people from other uh places any connection to some eastern european or some of where the roots of yiddish uh, culture have uh, originated was or there any collaborations in that in that manner
1: Sure. Well, um, one of the things that happened during the pandemic was that with this online programming, that is people that do have access to the internet, because not everybody does, but um, the programs, like these online programs, for example, organized by the Congress for Jewish Culture, these Yiddish cultural programs started to draw like a much larger audience and also base of performers. So we had people from like several different continents. We actually had a program where believe it or not, we had somebody on every continent, including Antarctica.
3: Oh, wow, wow. I
1: actually like happened to know someone who knows someone who was working there as a scientist, so she made a short video with a little seal <laughs> in <laughs> the background. But we had people from um from Japan, from throughout Europe. Um we had people people in Israel, people in Argentina and Brazil and Canada and the US. So it was really um, a really wonderful way to connect and um, just be part of a larger movement with other people. Right. But yeah, in terms of like solo performing versus in a group, like usually I work with an accompanist. So I did work with an accompanist a few times where they pre-recorded some, you know, tracks after we um, talked about it. And then I kind of sang over that. I also I, I consider myself a recovering accordion player. I really love the accordion. I'm passionate about it, but I've never been able to play that well. So I ended up um, going into um, Garage Band and recording different accordion tracks for myself and just using those. I mean, obviously, it's not going to sound, like, really good, but it's better than nothing. Yeah. So I, I explored that oh, a little bit.
2: I'd love to hear some of those. Yeah, yeah
1: but being with the band, like... Just being with another person on stage is so amazing, and there's nothing that can really substitute. I did do a concert performance where um, a great colleague and friend of mine, Shane Baker, won this award. Actually, it's called the Adrian Cooper Dreaming in Yiddish Award. Mm. And um, we did a performance for an empty theater, basically. So we were, like, really, really socially distanced, and we recorded it for an empty theater and then streamed it live.
2: Yeah, I did something similar for a theater festival during that time. And it was about another language, about Esperanto, the oh, uh, the, the language. Created
1: by a Yiddish speaker, right, Ludwig uh, Zamenhof. Yeah, and right.
2: there were some lines about the, the Yiddish theater walkway. Uh, oh, and, yes. And I don't know if you could talk a little bit about that. I just was near, I guess, Veselka recently and... And kind of, you know, to me, they're, they're names, but I don't know if you, if any of those names resonate with you or you know oh, yeah. some of those, those people.
1: Those are like my heroes. Yeah. I mean, I consider it a walk of fame. I know it's been kind of fading and there's some efforts to, to fix it up. But yeah, this um, deli owner, Abe Lebowall, he um, created this walk of fame um, and it sort of fell into disrepair after his business closed. And um, actually it's... Right across the street from, there's only two purpose-built Yiddish theaters in the city that are still standing. One of them is the Yiddish Art Theater on 12th Avenue and 2nd, which is now a movie theater. And if you go into, like, the large part of the theater, you can see this these elaborate decorations. Also, just a few miles from here is the, um, it's now a church called House of Prayer for All Peoples, I think. But it's um, actually... It was called the Roland and it's sometimes the Parkway Theater. It's on um, Eastern Parkway and St. John's Place in Brownsville. So that was like a huge place as well. But yeah, all all these stars are sort of forgotten or people reduce them to some sort of cliche, but this was a whole movement of people. This was like, you know, they had multiple unions for the actors, for the ticket takers, for everybody. And this was like a way of life. For many people, and it was a really important cultural force for immigrants because they wanted to go somewhere where they could, you know, connect with people in their own language, but also have a sort of cathartic emotional experience as a group. Yeah. Like some even liken it to a religious experience. Yeah.
0: Uh, so, so I want to return also to your uh, thousand flavors, uh, the CD, and uh, you mentioned you're you're kind of interpreting or you're doing some level of interpretation of traditional. Song. Tell us a little bit about the interpretive aspect and how, to what degree, do you uh, tell us a little bit about kind of your process interpreting and and how you bring that that kind of. For me, listening to it sounds a little like kind of upbeat and has a certain kind of show tuney kind of thing to it. So I really appreciated that. So just tell us a little bit about that interpretive aspect.
1: Well, there's a lot of different types of songs and different ways to interpret them. I think that I tend to focus mostly on theater and folk songs, and those two genres are kind of connected because theater music really grew out of this folk tradition. But um, I just try to listen to and look at as many versions of the song as I can and then combine them in a way that makes sense but might have like a little bit of a modern twist on it. Um, So I might take a song that has like, you know, two different melodies and combine them or use one of them as an introduction. Mm-hmm. and um or I might just combine a whole bunch of different verses that i um that I've heard, mm-hmm. different versions. Sometimes I'll like actually record um, older folk singers singing a song, and then I'll base my interpretation on theirs. Mm-hmm. So it really it really varies,
0: yeah. So one of the songs I really liked is New York, New York, New York which is really great. If you tell us a little bit about like how, how that came that but we focus on that specific track and some of the things about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I mean, I was always fascinated by New York. I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> so, um, you know, I kind of wanted to get out of there as soon as possible, even though it's a very nice city, but I always just had this dream of coming to New York. And what I really like about New York is that like, you can be from anywhere and you can still be just like a normal person and um, there's just so many different people here, and there's so many different cultures. And New York is also, like historically and today, a center for Yiddish culture. So in the midst of all these cultures, there's also a Yiddish culture that's really active and um, spans many boroughs and many different groups and subgroups of people. So I wrote the song as sort of a tribute to New York and also just to life here. I mean, one of the lines is like, it's the city that has everything as long as you have money. Uh So sort of like these talking about essential truths, Uh you know, (laughs) like that's, um, you know, just, just the excitement of the city, the different sounds and the, the, just the, the soundscape of the city. So like the subway and people playing steel drums and big crowds rushing and, and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. We'll take a listen in one second, but, uh, Scott and I were just talking before the show about how like so many of these Yiddish expressions became like New York isms as well like uh um Uygevalt, Uygevalt, on the yeah, uh, so many things yeah wellve of course and and takes a little hutzpah and yeah uh, whole, spiel, you know all these kinds of things and and how like even, and also Seinfeld I think kind of popularized. Some of his expressions. I think he also used some of his expressions. Yeah, and then I always I remember the uh,
2: Linda Richmond skit from oh, Saturday yes. Live. Of course, that was maybe my first uh Yeah. But but so it's yeah, Spilkes of the Genecticazoink.
1: Yeah, that's actually not really Yiddish. Right. I mean there is a word spilkes, which is like um you're sitting on pins and needles like a kid that can't sit still. And a lot of those words were sort of like changed around Put or mixed toes. up or right. like yeah. somebody would make up a nonsense word and be like, That's Yiddish but it's so much more than just these funny expressions. People think mm, of this as just like a humorous language, but it's a whole language. It's a cultural civilization. It's a literature yeah. and it's a very rich language. Yeah. So while I appreciate that, and I'm always struck by that when I'm here, there's so much, it goes so much deeper as well.
2: Can you give us one other phrase maybe that, or, or something that, that resonates with you? Maybe one that, yeah, yeah. Another one that um, expresses some of the, the, new, the pain or, or not even the, the silliness of it. Uh, yeah.
1: I don't know. I mean, offhand, I don't know if I can just think think of an expression, but there's a lot of things that I hear that I'm always always struck by in the ways that people will use. Yeah, you well,
2: know. verklempt, right? Yeah, like verklempt. literally,
1: That's, if you you're... say, es, es verklempt mir dos hearts, it means like my heart is sort of... Um, like, emotionally overwhelmed. But Clem right. is literally a vice. So it's like my heart is being, like, squeezed oh, by these emotions.
0: So beautiful, yeah. 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 There, I
1: mean, there's also, there's all kinds of things. Like, if you really, like, are close to somebody, if you really love them and you think of them almost like a family member, you can say they're, <laughs> like, they're baked into my heart, literally. Oh, nice. So that's a kind of interesting... Expression
0: Yeah uh, Why don't we take a listen I'll take. I'll play uh, New York, New York uh, New York, New York And then we'll listen a little bit to it So let me I, I was pulling off the band camp before So I finally was able to get it up um, So let's see Let's play, listen a little bit to it
4: Gesehen steht Of der Welt Ich bin schon gefahren Über Jamen Obe tief, tiefen in noch dem steht the hot the city of Paris city of the city of the city of the Nur du a gansk møsløs New York, New York Vi gut du i New York, New York A stok vi gornet Welt. Og i vinket vergessen Deine goldene øyne Og New York, New York Bist hegnet opp der Welt New York, New York Bist hegnet opp der Welt Von Breiten Beach bis Bämbel Schiffel, auf deinen hämischen Gassen hört man noch guter Geschmack jedes Wort zwischen die riesigen Massen, hört noch die heiße Kichern zwischen die fremden Freie, und sie geht noch verbrennen, rutscht nicht wie gewein. I'm New York, New York, the in the New York, New York, A city and the world. never I'm a man who's of the the of so oft sich mitchen, sie kriegen sich en quieten, to schistische Zwecken noch streben. Ich weiß, was du's Leben du isch nicht bringt, aber große Männer hat mein Ohr noch gesehen. Ich will sie rund hinaufgehn, in ich sing, mein Teilin. New York, New York, die Stutt und die Eine. New York, New York, als Stutt und die Wohnefeld. Und wir können vergessen, deine Gord.
0: Okay, so we're back and uh, we're talking a little bit, you were telling us a little bit about a little bit of the um, aspects of that song. I think it being like kind of a, can you tell us a little bit about the certain aspect of the song you're mentioning?
1: Yeah, so actually it's a, a little bit of a parody because um, there's this genre of nostalgic songs in Yiddish about people who are like longing for their old hometown and usually they portray it in this sort of nostalgic way where everything was like, Everyone was poor and religious yeah. and just kind of this idyllic life. But um, it's actually I thought, well, wouldn't it be funny if I wrote a song about New York City that was like, uh-huh. you know, kind of nostalgic, but sort of tongue in cheek, you know? Yeah. Because it's obviously, it's not like this idyllic small town. So that's kind of where I got the idea.
0: Yeah, it makes me think a little bit of Fiddler on the Roof for some reason. Uh, what, what do you think about that play and uh, what, any uh, thoughts on any in, in, in uh, insights into
1: well, the play is actually so the play is actually based on um, the writings of Sholem Aleichem, mm-hmm. and um, it's considerably different. If you actually watch the film Tevye, it's a tragedy. Oh wow! And um, so the play is very different. And actually, it was like created in English and um, later also translated into Yiddish. But um, yeah, I think for a lot of people, that's like their idea of what. Yiddish is
0: yeah hopefully a gateway into a whole whole another um, cultural resonance
2: right are there are there other films maybe that um, that you connect with that um, connect to Yiddish culture or just you know on a comedy level nostalgia level
1: yeah I mean if you um, go to the website of the National Center for Jewish Film they've reissued quite a number of Yiddish films and um, the heyday of Yiddish films was really in the 20s and 30s and they didn't like produce a huge number of films, but it's very interesting in terms of like, it's almost, well, it is like a documentation of Yiddish acting styles because the people in the films were really stage actors. So in a way you get a sense of what stage acting was like, since we don't have any videos from that time. So that's actually really interesting. And yeah, I mean, there's so many great films like Molly Pekan, you know, is this huge star also on English uh, on Broadway in English. And, um, like probably the best known film is "Fiddle, Mitten Fiddle." It's about this young woman who disguises herself as a boy and um, goes on the road as a traveling musician with her father to earn money. And um, basically, the film, I mean, is about sort of her adventures. And then she falls in love with this this guy that's in the band. And there have been like a lot of queer readings of the film, saying, "Oh, well, maybe they're really trying to say something about being queer, and they couldn't, so instead they had this kind of homoerotic." aspect um, between the two of them. And also, um, I'm a big fan of the actress Jenny Goldstein. Nobody's ever heard of her today, but she was this amazing actress that was known for tragic and melodramatic and also for comic acting. And she made a film um, in the 30s called Two Sisters. It's basically these two sisters, and one of them steals the um, fiancé of the other And, um, it's just a, it's a melodrama, but it's so, and it takes place in the Bronx and it's just really like, it's really over the top, but at the same time, there's something really real about her acting. And like, you just, you just want to like her. She's this sort of pathetically wronged character, but you just, you just want to like her and you're like cheering for her the whole time, even though she has such a crappy life. So I, I like that one as well.
0: Yeah, I also want to get into the book you're co-editing or you're about to or you're working on now, I think. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and how your process of research and and what, what what comes up for you.
1: So actually the book has kind of spiraled out of control into like a couple of volumes and also a series of blog posts. So it ended up being a lot more. But basically a colleague, Elisa Quint, approached me a few years ago about this idea of doing A book about women on the Yiddish stage because there's actually not that much scholarship about Yiddish theater, especially in English, but there's nothing about gender really. Like, there's really no one's ever talked about gender or specifically looked at women's contributions um, thinking about gender. So, our idea was to create this volume where we would have scholarly articles about women in the Yiddish theater, their different roles, you know obviously actors, but also directors and writers and, you know, all aspects translators um, of of plays and also um, translations of primary sources like memoirs of Yiddish actresses who wrote in Yiddish and translate those into English and make them available for a broader audience so people can have these, like, primary sources. I think some people are intimidated by doing research about Yiddish or they just can't because they can't read the language. And we wanted to make more of those materials accessible to um, to a broader audience. So we're going to, um, right now we're working on getting the articles ready for publication in a volume. And then we're also going to be publishing a series of these translations um, on this website called Digital Yiddish Theater Project, where um, we have all kinds of articles and translations from primary sources. And it's a it's a peer-reviewed um, scholarly website. So I'm really excited about that.
2: Great. Uh, Can you talk a little bit how how gender and even orientation informs your music? Yeah.
1: Well, that's that's a good question. I mean, for example, on this um, on this album, I have a song called Hidden Love and I actually wrote it. I was inspired when I met um, and I know we're kind of in the Williamsburg area. I guess technically this is considered Bushwick Um, I was really inspired by some of the people that I met who were living in a Hasidic community and they were trying to come out of the closet and um, I decided to write a song for them and um, so this is my song and it's basically about like being and I mean I can relate to it obviously like as a lesbian but also I just I just felt for them and I feel like there's so many different dimensions to that. I mean, luckily when I came out I didn't lose um I didn't lose my family and I didn't lose my community. I didn't lose like if I had children I wouldn't lose custody of them. But for some people like it really is a battle. Like if they come out, they'll um they'll lose like their whole community and their all their support and their family and they basically be like excommunicated. And I know people who are still in that situation. Like I know a trans woman who's living um, in an Orthodox community and like she can't come out and she's just kind of stuck there. So um, I wrote this song just thinking about um, hidden hidden love and how it's just something that's, I don't know, like going back to what I said before, just the idea to that connecting to people and feeling seen and feeling listened to and feeling compassion is like something that everybody has in common. And I was just thinking about that in terms of like specific communities and people that aren't able to express all of who they are. Um, so that's why I, I wrote the song and I consider it sort of like the first anthem the first queer anthem of the Yiddish world. That's really out and explicit about that.
0: Um, As one of my listeners, this is the truth to power show in Radio for Brooklyn. We're here with co-host Scott Raven and with special guest Amanda Siegel. So, um, yeah, and also I want to mention a little bit about, uh you know, one of the questions is about uh, most valuable failures, which I thought was interesting, Um, thinking about successes and failures, thinking differently about successes and failures and kind of inverting that aspect. So uh if you talk a little bit about what's a, what's a valuable failure that, that came up in your career or in your uh, life that kind of you learned a lot from?
1: Well, <laughs> there have been so many failures where like, I don't know, I was cast in a show or I wasn't cast in a show that I thought I was in, and then, you know, I had like a terrible time or I couldn't fit in with like the cast or with the acting style
0: mm. or
1: I don't know, I had really high expectations of doing a gig and then I realized that the musicians just didn't care. Like I had one experience where I went to I went to a gig and We had like three hours before we were going to start. The hall was empty. And I was like, you know, let's go over the music. And they were like, no, we don't need to rehearse anything. I was like, okay. So in a way, it's really their failure and not mine. But, um, you know, situations like that just make me reflect on, you know, what feels right for me as an artist. And I can say this because like people are always like, why don't you just do art full time? but that's not economically sustainable for me and for most people so like i'm lucky enough that i can choose like what kind of artistic projects i want to take on because my time is limited and i'm not relying on it for my rent and i know it's not the same like for everybody in that regard but um i think because of that like i just think more carefully about what i do and i think of i think more of each gig as a learning experience rather than necessarily a failure but you know sometimes if you have a failure it can turn into something really interesting and and positive
0: yeah yeah and I, I like that it reminds me a little bit of the the jazz improvisation kind of turning mistakes into gold like you mentioned a little bit of appreciation for jazz so I think it reminds me a little bit of that improvisational style of jazz we're able to kind of um you know go with the flow and make sure everything's working out and kind of fits into the whole aesthetic you know
1: Yeah. I mean, it kind of, this is really stupid. I don't even know where I saw this, but like, it reminds me of this video I saw where this, this kid like tripped and fell. And then this, this was on the street, like on the sidewalk and an adult just started laughing at him. And first of all, he's like, that's really mean, like to just laugh at a kid. But instead, then they showed it again. It was like, instead of falling, the kid like made, like he was doing this really cool breakdancing move. And then Uh. everyone was like, Oh wow, that's really cool. So in a way, it was kind of like, oh, I meant to do that. You know, yeah. I was just doing this move.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember when I was uh, riding this motorbike in a uh, little motorbike in uh, uh, Key West, like I fell down and then some some driver passed by, just get up and go, get up and go and keep going, keep going. And that was very nice to, him to pass by because I was starting to feel a bad. And then he was like, oh, no, just keep going, keep going. And that was a nice inspirational moment for me, at least. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Now, can you uh,
2: talk a little, you mentioned a little bit about collaborations with with other artists. Now, do we find that um, there are other, I guess, um, religions, races that are finding their way into Yiddish music? Is it specifically Jewish people that are playing this uh, Yiddish music or is it outside those?
1: It's, um, I mean, a lot of Jewish people are interested in it. Um, because it's, like, their roots and they feel a personal connection, but there are people all over the world that are interested in this music. It could be, like, um, people that, like, for example, in Eastern Europe, that maybe they come from a place that has a historical Jewish community that was mostly wiped out, so they're, like, trying to reconnect with kind of local populations, so, like, that's something that's happening. Also, there's people you know, there's people in Japan that are really interested in Yiddish music that are doing like these really interesting interpretations of Yiddish songs with like traditional Japanese instruments, which is really cool. There are also people that, um, you know, maybe they they come to Yiddish later in life, like people that didn't grow up Jewish and maybe they converted to Judaism later and they're bringing like a lot of different cultures with them. Mm. So, um, you know, that's also something that's you know, that's that's interesting. And it's really something that's like for everybody, hopefully everybody can get something positive out of it and um and enjoy it and benefit from it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting when I uh uh started exploring uh so I was exploring a little bit also the research a little bit for the interview and I was trying to figure out the similarities and differences between Yiddish and Hebrew. And it was the very di- i I didn't realize how Different they were. I mean, I kind of had the assumption or previously I had an assumption that maybe there was a close relationship, but then I was researching it and I realized that Yiddish just comes from Eastern Europe or Germanic languages. And then he was like almost independently, you know, like it's uh, a very different, you know, very different origin and, and, and development. But, um, I'd be curious a little bit if you could speak a little bit on that and how, you know, you know, have people, uh, you uh, know, the mis- misperception and how, you know, what the truth is, what the etymology is and a lot.
1: Sure yeah, so Yiddish is about a thousand years old. And you're right. It comes from um the biggest element of it is um middle high German, which is distinctive from like the modern German that you hear today. Mm. And also, like as Jews migrated from that area, um, they picked up Slavic elements, also elements from Romance languages, um like like a language called Laz, which was sort of related to French. And then, of course, the Hebrew and Aramaic languages that were already there from having Hebrew as, as, as a language of religious worship and words for certain holidays and certain things, um, and just a smattering of other languages, but mostly um, mostly Middle High German as the largest component. And, you know, there's, there's several different dialects depending on where you're from. So people might ridicule, like, the pronunciation of people from another region because they pronounce their vowels and their diphthongs different, or they might drop off certain ends of of words. So there's actually, like, several different dialects as well. And it, it, you know, it's sort of like, I don't know, English and Polish are the same alphabet, right? But, like, totally different languages. So Yiddish and Hebrew are the same. Like, I can read Hebrew um, and I can read Yiddish. They're in the same alphabet, but, like they're totally different languages.
2: Yeah, yeah the vowels of, of Hebrew, yeah. Yeah. Or Torah reading, at uh, Bat Mitzvah, I imagine.
1: Yeah, so yeah. I had like a typical, you know, Reformed Jewish education where I had Hebrew school, I had a Bat Mitzvah, and I learned how to read Hebrew. And um, yeah, I mean, it came in handy later when I started learning Yiddish because they already knew the alphabet, but it's, it's totally different. But it's interesting because when I look back now, like I realize that, when I read Hebrew, I can see words that I know from Yiddish that come from Hebrew. And also I realize like a lot of the melodies that we sang in shul were actually Hasidic melodies, like, which is really interesting because you think of Hasidic melodies, you think of like, you know, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, people that are not in that community might feel like distanced from that, but actually like we're all from the same, we're all from like the same ethnic group sort of. So despite like ideological and religious differences, we have that in common. Like mm. we have common roots and we see that in the music.
2: Yeah. Mm. Learning. Well, Hebrew growing up where w- learning the melody before the meaning of the words too, it seems with Yiddish though, you're learning them simultaneously a, a bit where you're getting you know, the meaning as well as the melody. Mm. Uh, yeah. Why? I mean, I guess that's just being raised, yeah, reform or, or whatever, where, it was more a focus on on just the, that. Which, when you view something, are you viewing the musicality of it first, or the the um, or the meaning?
1: I guess both. I don't know if I can sin- separate sin. it. Mm. I mean, it's sort of like when I'm learning a musical piece, I always think, okay, first you have to just get the rhythm. Yeah. But like, I'm thinking about the words, and I'm thinking about the melody, and like, I can't necessarily separate them. So, yeah, it really. It really depends um, on dope. the piece. But I'm a very, like, I'm very oriented towards hearing things. So if I just hear something and I'm, like, really struck by that, then I'll be like, oh, wow, I really want to learn more about that.
0: Yeah, it's so beautiful. I remember when growing up, we used to learn, like, Hindi and Sanskrit bhajans, like, devotional songs. But I, know, I just would know, like, the gist of what it meant. I never really, like, learned. You know, I really I learned a little bit about what it meant, but mostly I was just memorizing them to, to sing at the thing. So it was really nice. That when people really dive into their faith and dive into their, dive into these songs and, and, and learn a lot about it. Um, yeah, I wish in some ways that I'd done that with the, some of these songs, but you know, it's very nice. It's very nice. And, uh, you go, still could. Yeah, I still can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you were mentioning a little bit about the, um, you know, in your pre-interview questions, you're mentioning about like the importance of diction and the importance of, uh, the language and the importance of preciseness and, and all this kind of thing. And uh, it's interesting since I guess you mean like inconsist- consistency between keeping consistent in your interpretive, in, in your thing. Or tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah.
1: Well, I just think that, um, you know, just like I think we need to have high standards about language and really push people to learn the language and learn the dialects and learn how to read properly. Because I think some people approach it from like a sort of superficial of view and um it's like a lot deeper than that so i think that's that's really important um because we're sort of like carrying this flame and we have to keep the flame alive and we have to really like i don't know go go deeper into it so yeah i think that's that's really important i mean i was really struck by like i i'm not an opera singer like i i have a little bit of operatic training but i'm I'm not an opera singer and um like the first time I worked with opera singers on a project, I was like so amazed by their their diction was just so clear. And they actually have to study, um, they might not have to like become fluent in various languages like Italian, for example, but they have to kind of master Italian pronunciation to do Italian opera. And I think we should have the same thing for Yiddish, like we should just help people learn to pronounce things and also certain singing techniques because there's certain things that people might do that like bother me because just because that's the way I am but it's like no it's not acceptable to like change the pronunciation of a word just because it's easier to sing yeah, yeah. because that's not true to the language and I'm not going to like accept sloppy pronunciation just because like it's easier to sing it that way mm. so I'm a stickler for those <laughs> kinds of things.
2: Or is there like a consequence though to mispronunciation?
1: Well, I mean, it's just that you spread, you're spreading misinformation and misinformation. you're encouraging other people to learn it in a kind of sloppy way. And you're also like sending the message that, ah, this isn't really important. It's not really like a language, you know, it's not, you don't have to take it that seriously. Be sort of like, I don't know. I mean, I, I could go on about this for a long time, but it's like you have to have certain professional standards. Like, for mm. example, somebody that calls himself a translator it's like okay, you're a translator like do you own a dictionary like whoever studied this language are you a native speaker like do you understand the grammar just basic things like that so I I have pretty high standards
2: right well I, I, I can understand on the uh, misinformation tip I, I just I'm thinking of hip-hop when words sometimes are pronounced incorrectly on purpose just for the sake of sound or rhyme but that's an
1: artistic choice made sure. out of knowing. what you're doing and doing it deliberately like in an artistic way and like i totally support that what i don't support is people just pronouncing things sloppily because they don't want to take the time to do it right or they don't understand what they're saying and they're like oh it's not going to make a difference nobody's going to understand anyway
0: yeah no totally totally i think it's important to have high standards even in english How you know a lot of people uh you know kind of decry like you know how words become like corrupted and then so some sooner or later they end up you know sooner or later they end up uh actually like creating that in the dictionary to, to it like, regardless the perfect example how like you know it became but now it became not as so acceptable in the dictionary to like use that word but that's not really i don't know i also like, kind of I'm in the camp of like you know let's let's keep the words a little bit you know as they're meant to be said you know yeah,
1: yeah. or just the weird the weird misuses of of punctuation. Yeah, where there's an apostrophe where there doesn't need to be one, or something like that.
0: Yeah, all these uh, they 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 are there, there all the three there. Yeah, your, yours is a very uh, yours is a very abused word. Yeah, <laughs>
1: or excessive quotation marks, like yeah, we're serving chicken today <laughs> it's like well is it really chicken or is it like fake chicken or is it like vegetarian but you are putting in quotation marks for that reason i don't really understand
0: yeah. so as my this is the truth of passion ready for brooklyn uh ready for brooklyn is a listener supported radio so if you're listening to ready for brooklyn now when you're in front of your computer please consider freeing yourself up by downloading our free mobile app for iphone or android available in the app store for iphone or google play for google play store for android uh, be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming RFB events. You can sign up at radioforbrooklyn.org slash newsletter. Um, finally, um, if you, get, if you'd like to give a one-time donation or a monthly pledge, please go to radioforbrooklyn.org slash donate. There you can find great t-shirts, swag, and other, and mugs and other swag that you can send you to say thanks. You can use your phone to text, uh, RFB give five. Oh, sorry, RFB one, two, three, uh, four, two, four, four, three, two, one. So you can use your phone to text RFB123 to 44321. It'll take only take a moment and you'll be able to use a digital off your donation. Finally, if you shop on Amazon, you can go to Amazon.com slash smile. And we're ready for as as your nonprofit you wish to support. When you do a present to your sales, we'll go to RFB and it'll cost you nothing. No donation is too big or too small. Um, whatever you can afford will make a huge difference. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts and we wish you all of us of health and happiness as we um, finish navigating the COVID storm together. Um Finally, uh Radio Booking is sponsored in part by Bo- ProCare Biomedical Repair, offering little and no-cost medical braces. More information is available at 844-598-6639. That's 844-598-6639. Thanks so much. All right, so we have about uh, 10 more minutes left. So we'll uh, – any other th- – yeah. What was that? And one more track. We yeah, we'll play, we'll play at the end, I guess. So you want to play now or we'll play it going out, I guess, in, in five minutes. We'll play the last track going out, which uh, – You mentioned one track about the, what was the track number to that one?
1: Oh, um, I don't remember the track Uh, number, but it's called Die Behaltene Liebe.
0: Here it is, yeah, yeah, number six. Okay, cool, cool. So uh, we'll play that going out. It's about five minutes, 40 seconds. So if you talk a little bit more about, or like, you know, just tell a little bit more about your process in that song in particular. I think you mentioned a little bit about it, but if you go a little deeper and then we'll, we'll play this track in a few minutes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was just I was just thinking like it would be nice to have a song to acknowledge queer issues in Yiddish because you know sometimes it feels like we don't have like our own history because everything is so heteronormative when you look yeah. at films and theater and um literature like it's hard to find that history that like people that are queer can identify with so I wanted to be part of creating sort of a new history. So that's why, that's why I wrote it. And also just as a call to just be yourself and just celebrate that. And, um, yeah, be proud.
0: Why don't we play it and then we can come back after the end of the song. So I'll play it now. All right, cool.
4: nicht geschrieben auf ewig geblieben die behaltene liebe wo sie tät in mir brennt Output transcript: Ich darf mir keck, Titus hart, zah, der Quick, noch is die Siebe. Noch die kann Kini sein, noch mehr wie Träum. Sie hofft, ich hab, sie bleibt noch in es kleid, sich mir keim. Besser nicht zu trachten in den Tiefereien. In Finn, die ganze Meiße, wird schon gar nicht sein. In Gegenwart, Starke, feste Tritt, Nur is dach sich ha sich her noch, fin hind mir tritt, wie weit ich soll nicht fliehen, wie ich soll sich nicht bamien, fall läuft sie alle wegen, in kimt mir an kegen. Die behalte Sie tätig zu mir ziehen, die behaltene Liebe, wo sie lust macht, nicht reden. Sie kommt ihm Verbeten, wird sich wenn mir nicht uptreten, bis ich such sie schon kippt ich nehm sie ja die eigene Liebe.
0: so we're back um so yeah you were mentioning a little bit about uh some of the transitions on the lines if you could give us a little bit of a few of the lines for the ending line especially
1: yeah so it's sort of just like asking in the song you know what's the reason why am i feeling this way like why am i i guess why am i in love with the woman and like what does this mean and then eventually like I can't really hide myself not from God and not from other people. And I actually don't care. And I'm going to shout it from the rooftops. Nice. And ultimately the reason is love that each person has. And like basically that's what makes us human.
0: Yeah. Excellent, excellent. So beautiful. So beautiful. And you're mentioning some of your upcoming projects. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So I'm actually in a couple of weeks I'm doing a special um service it's going to be online it's actually in person as well um if you go to cbst.org um it's basically a special um friday night service at a synagogue it's an lgbt synagogue based in manhattan called congregation Beit simchat torah and um we're doing a special service but it's not just a regular religious service it's actually a tribute to these um Yiddish writers that were killed by Stalin in 1952. It's called Night of the Murdered Poets. And it's going to be a beautiful service with all kinds of music and literary readings. And um, I have the honor of working with a really wonderful team there. So that's coming up on Friday, August 13th. And you can just go to cbst.org for more information. And then also I'm working on a project. I'm completing a master's at um, the CUNY Graduate Center, which is great. And I really, really like the program. It's basically um, a performance based on the work of the first Yiddish actors who started in the mid-19th century before there was really any secular um, Yiddish culture. And um, basically, it, basically, it's like a recreation of their work through memoirs and anecdotes and actual music from that time. And then the last thing I'm doing is this online conference about... Um, Kol Nidre, which is a prayer um, for the Yom Kippur service. And it's about Kol Nidre in the Yiddish theater. So that's coming up online.
0: Great. And people can find your album uh, on Bandcamp and where else? Just Bandcamp. Yeah,
1: I don't do business with Amazon as much as I can oh, avoid okay. it. So
0: Yeah, I hope people look it up if they enjoyed these songs or just exploring more of the tracks on this very beautiful album and, and they can look up your uh, information. Yeah, any closing thoughts? We have like 30 seconds left. So thanks so much. Thank, thank you very much, no, Scott
1: happy. and Vijay, for hosting me. And thanks, everyone, for listening.
0: Thank you. Thank, thank you, me. Amanda. Thank Wonderful. you, guys. Hope to see you next week and uh, Sundays at 11 a.m. And we broadcast on Thursdays at 9 a.m. So people interested in looking at our back catalog, you can go to radiofuckland.org slash truth to power.
3: Thank you.